From the Los Angeles Times, this is Coronavirus in California, stories from the front lines. I'm Gustavo Arellano. It's Wednesday, May 13th. Today, City Lights in San Francisco is one of the most famous bookstores in the United States. It's where Allen Ginsberg read his legendary poem, Howl, and where founder and author Lawrence Ferlinghetti kept the bohemian vibe of the city alive decades after tech bros priced everyone out. But being a cultural icon doesn't make you immune to coronavirus. Shelter-in-place orders have eaten into the finances of City Lights. A GoFundMe campaign raised nearly half a million dollars to keep it afloat. Now, as California eases into reopening, City Lights CEO Elaine Katzenberger is trying to figure out a way forward. Blue Shield of California would like to take this moment to thank the mothers, fathers, sisters, brothers, daughters, sons, friends, and heroes on the front line. This fight is tough, but so are you. And we're grateful for your courage and your dedication to keeping us all safe and healthy. Thank you. So Elaine, are you excited to be able to slowly open up City Lights again to the public? Absolutely. It's been two months that we haven't been able to even have our staff in the bookstore. I go there regularly just to check on things and to do some work and to keep things moving along. And I have a couple of my management colleagues that have been going in as well. But it was just last week for the first time that there were three of us physically in the same place at the same time. So just bringing the staff back is exciting. And the thought of having customers in there... um, It's daunting, too, and there's a lot of logistics involved in what does it mean to keep everyone safe, and that's primary. But, you know, City Light's masthead is a literary meeting place, so I don't know what it is if we don't have people in there. Yeah, I mean, every time I go to San Francisco, I'm there, and and what I always love about bookstores is that it's two seemingly contradictory things at once. It's a place of community, so you have a lot of people going there, either to hear a speaker, to just, you know, go hang out, but it's also a place of solitude, because everyone eventually gets wrapped up in that one book that they find, or that one magazine, or that one publication. Yeah, that's true, and it's something that I've thought about a lot, about that notion of what it means to be in community when you might not actually even be speaking to anyone who's around you, but you feel better because you know that you're around people who love what you love. Yeah, and then one of the other things, and I would love to hear what you know. What are the plans for City Lights? So much of going to a bookstore is literally just getting a book, browsing through it, touching it. How is City Lights going to deal with what's a fundamental part of the bookstore experience, at least for the foreseeable future? Well... I don't have a formula for that, and I don't know that any bookstore does. It, it's it's inconceivable to think that you would have a bookstore without browsing. Why would you have a bookstore if you can't actually look at the books? The argument all along between why bookstores are different from an online experience is exactly that. So the ability to walk among the stacks and to be surprised and and to discover things that you weren't already expecting has got to be part of the experience. And as far as whether or not people are allowed to touch things and to look through them, you know, I think they have to be. You know, books aren't something that can be sprayed with disinfectant, you know. It's just the reality of of what they are. So it'll, I'm not sure how people are going to feel about that one way or the other. Are they going to want that experience or not? I mean, the people who work for us will all have gloves on, you know, anything that they touch that other people have touched, they'll be protected from. I think if people want to have gloves on in the store, they should and could, but I don't know that 
We will be requiring that. I know that we'll be requiring people to wear masks over their faces to be in the bookstore because it's just for everybody's safety. And hopefully that helps with the general spread of anything. We'll have hand sanitizer everywhere, all that kind of thing. But, I, you know, books are paper. And I, I don't think that we're going to tell people they can't touch them. That's not the idea. Yeah, and, and at least the good thing is with not just a fan base of City Lights, but also just book lovers in general, they're, they're some of the most understanding people in terms of saying like, hey, you know those books? Uh, you can browse, you can't touch, you can't uh, do this, this, and that. I mean, you have a, that built-in fan base that's going to be supportive of you no matter what. That's true. I mean, I think that's really clear that there are a lot of people who love City Lights and are, are uh, wanting to come back and support us. But I think we have to be ready for anything, really. This country is a mess, and there isn't really good direction happening about how people are actually supposed to behave. But I I agree that, generally speaking, people who go to bookstores are thoughtful people. So hopefully they want to make sure that our staff can continue to be to be there, and they can't be there unless it's a safe environment. So... So when you started to hear about these shelter-in-place orders, uh, San Francisco, of course, was ahead of the rest of the state in many ways. What did you and the rest of City Lights think? Did you think, okay, our business is completely gone? Do we have to hunker down? What was what, how, were you, how were you able to plan in a time where there's no one really has a, a clear-cut plan of what's next? <laughs> well, we're the same. I mean, you know, that all snowballed very quickly. So when we went to work on Monday... March 16th, which was the day that the mayor here in San Francisco closed things down. We already knew that that would be our last day because it had just become clear that we couldn't stay open ethically. It just didn't seem good. But we had thought that we could still keep something going and not just not be open to the public, but fulfill orders and that sort of thing. So it was quite sudden that suddenly we were told everyone had to just go home and stay home. So there was no plan for that in place yet. I mean, from the beginning, I think we understood that the initial order was supposed to last, I think, for three weeks. And that was kind of obvious that it would be longer than that, but no one knew how long. And so all the planning is constantly provisional and attempting to create something that's going to meet the moment when it comes. You know, now it seems like the moment is coming for us, But, you know, that could be rescinded again. We don't really know what's going to happen. So there's a whole lot to do to reconfigure the bookstore, too, to make it ready for the public. And we're kind of trying to assume that that would be, maybe that'll be on June 1st. We don't know, you know, but it just depends what happens in the city. They could could slow things down again in the city or the state or, or it could keep going in this direction. We'll see. But... You know, it, the, the I think the challenge for us and probably for all businesses, retail spots especially, is trying to make plans that are going to actually stick beyond a month or two. There's actual infrastructure money that has to be spent to accomplish all of these things, even just to, as you know, I mean, to transfer everything into a virtual mode. You know, we're doing virtual events, we're doing everything we can online. And some of that was already in place, but there's been a huge learning curve with all of that too.
This LA Times podcast is presented by Blue Shield of California. The fight is tough, but so are you. Thank you, Frontline. This advertiser has no influence over editorial decisions or content. Elaine, you got headlines worldwide when news came out that City Lights was, you know, was facing hard financial times. Then a, a GoFundMe account by fans popped up. Half a million dollars came in. How long is that going to last City Lights? Just to give people a sense of how hard is it right now for small businesses to survive? Hmm. Well, the, the sad truth of that is that it gives us a couple of months. What it did was enable us to continue paying our staff, which our staff has been paid with health insurance this whole time. That's a big expense. That's the majority of our expenses, actually, our employee benefits. That was money out the door for two solid months with absolutely no income. So that money covers that and enables us to sort of to have some money to pay the bills that were coming due that we don't have any income to pay and to not have to spend down whatever money we had in the bank. So it stabilizes us so that we can get through... I think the rest of this year, even if we are in the red for the next few months, as far as, you know, what our income will pay for, we have some time. Unfortunately, it doesn't quote unquote save us. What's going to save us are, are some measures we're going to have to take beyond that and to, to do enough business to, to get to whatever the timeline is to be on the other side of this when things can be more stable and more robust. It's so many small businesses like yours, you know, they laid off their employees or they never even gave them health benefits in the first place. Why was it important for City Lights to continue to keep your employees around? Well, I mean, in the most primary sense, it, I do think it's part of just a, an ethical makeup of City Lights that's always been true. Taking care of the people who work for City Lights is is just a natural part of it because it's the people who work in that place that make it every day. And I think for any bookstore, I don't blame my colleagues for having had to furlough people. I mean, some people have asked me about whether or not this was a rational choice, you know, fiscally for a business. And I understand why people had to terminate, you know, payment, not necessarily lay people off. But, uh, you know, bookstores especially, it is a specific skill set when you have people who work for you, who actually know your stock, who know your aesthetics and your politics. And the City Lights is not, you know, a cookie cutter operation. We have a real personality. I'd say we're a mission-driven organization. And so the, the it's not just anybody that can be fit into the slots of the jobs that need to be done. And so an attempt to keep the experience and the talent that we have is, is, is also an investment in the success of the company. But it's also a sense of responsibility to them for what role they play and what it is that we're supposed to be doing to make sure that they'll be okay. So it was a priority. I don't know how long that that will continue to be able to be fully true. It depends on how we do for the next six months or so, but, but it definitely was something that just was natural for us. There are so many different types of small businesses in California. A lot of them are neighborhood landmarks like City Lights, you know, regional, whatever. 
And especially when it comes to something like City Lights, you think, oh, it's been around for 60 some years. Of course, it's going to be fine. So what do you want to tell listeners about their local uh, small business landmarks? How can they help them right now? Well, they can help them by shopping with them in whatever form is possible. And if it's not possible now, then as soon as it is possible, I mean, that's primary. You know, I, I, I know that there's an assumption that something that's been around for a long time is more untouchable than something that's new, but that's not necessarily true. And I can say that in our case for City Lights, you know, City Lights has been around for more than 60 years and it looms quite large. It's a worldwide beloved institution and it's got a lot of impact and a lot of fan base and that definitely was manifested when we asked for help and that response was amazing but the fact of the matter is it's still just another small business and it's operated on a teeny tiny budget and people are paid really pretty crummy salaries compared to what the rest of the world is paid and actually what it is that people need to be paid to live in the Bay Area especially and you know, none of that is simple or easy. And I think that the people who run small businesses are mostly in the same exact position where, you know, oftentimes uh, the owner isn't paying themselves if anything goes awry or, you know, there's all kinds of ways in which you make ends meet that aren't necessarily fiscally robust or or easily supported. And they can disappear really quickly. And I think I think we are going to see a lot of them go and it's going to be a really different landscape. But I do think that people understand how important it is to have a place to go when you can go to someplace again that, you know, people are really going to be ready, I would imagine, to be in some spaces that are local and friendly. Totally. No, it's so important. And then finally, you know, you're a bookstore. People have a lot of time at home. What are some reads that they should be reading right now? Oh, we have a whole list, actually. You know, there is a, while we're unable to work, we've been unable to fulfill orders from our own website. And so we've been making all kinds of book recommendations on this wonderful site called bookshop.org. And bookshop.org was conceived earlier this year before the COVID thing happened. And then they've ramped into this amazing business. But basically, their mission is to support the independent bookselling community and provide a different online shopping option for people who want to buy books online and for bookstores that don't necessarily have websites that are so great. So bookshop.org is a great place to go to look. And we have all kinds of uh, curated selections on there. And we have one that is a specifically a shelter-in-place reading list. I would suggest some really wonderful recent books that were published by City Lights itself. The collected works of Bob Kaufman for people who are interested in poetry. Bob Kaufman is just an amazing poet. Uh, our most recent nonfiction book is called The Green New Deal and Beyond. And um, it's very timely look at exactly what is going on right now, the nexus between climate change and food production and catastrophic disease and all of that is uh, what it is that we need to be doing in order to move from a fossil fuel economy in some sort of way that supports a better future. Um, if you don't mind, I would like to give a plug to a book that we are going to publish this fall because yeah. Caribbean is a writer who's uh, from El Monte. Caribbean Fragosa. 
Yeah, exactly. So I'm going to be publishing a book of her stories uh, this October. It's called Eat the Mouth That Feeds You. They are fantastic stories. So I'm really looking forward to that. Yeah. And uh, listeners, Elaine's not just propping up some random author. Caribbean Fragosa is a professor, tells amazing stories about El Monte. I didn't know this book was coming out. I'm definitely going to order it. Thank you so much for this conversation, Elaine. Thanks for asking me on. That's it for today's episode of Coronavirus in California, Stories from the Front Lines. Thanks for listening. Do you have a story you want to share with us? Call us at our hotline at 213-986-5652 and leave us a message. That's 213-986-5652 or email me, gustavo.ariano at latimes.com. This podcast was hosted by me, Gustavo Ariano. Our producers are Paige Heimson and Stan Lee. Our senior producer is Rena Palta, and our executive producer is Abby Fentress Swanson. Our engineer is Mike Heflin, and our original music was composed by Andrew Eben. If you like our podcast, subscribe and leave us a five-star review on Apple. Special gracias to Julia Turner, Shelby Grad, Hector Becerra, and Clint Schaff. For the latest coronavirus stories by my LA Times colleagues, including an up-to-the-minute tracker of cases across California, don't forget to visit our website. Right now, access to facts has never been more important, and the LA Times is in the business of reporting them. Stay connected and subscribe, because your subscription supports the production of podcasts like this one and our award-winning journalism. Visit latimes.com slash support LA Times to subscribe. Stay safe and see you tomorrow.